Hi, I'm Dr. David Day of Samurai Digital Security, and this is 404 Cybersecurity Not Found, telling cybersecurity in you are since 2015. Hello, everyone. I've got another episode for you today. It's a slightly different one, as we don't have Dr. David Day with us, but we do have Mr. Luke Hill, one of our best and brightest with us. Luke, intro yourself. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm uh, another another one of the Samurai uh, team. Uh, I'm just a security consultant. I've uh, been with Samurai for two and a half years now, um, doing everything from pen testing, uh, incident response, which is by far my favorite, uh, and training uh, as well. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I like how uh, you introduce yourself as just a cybersecurity consultant <laughs> and uh, and not one of the uh, you know the most integral members of the team. We're here today to ask and answer a simple question, and that is, is cyber awareness important? Now, before we understand its importance, I think as a prerequisite, we really need to understand what is cyber awareness. Um, So Luke, can you give us a a high level introduction, please? So I think it probably means uh, slightly different things to everybody, but uh... Personally, for me, it just means that, you know, people understand the risks uh, that are out there online to their uh, devices and data um, and really about the implications that that can have uh, on them and their organization if it's or any, anybody else as well. Right. If people uh, look after uh, data that is uh, relevant to other people, if they process PII for their company, but it's, you know, individuals PII, then that could have a massively detrimental effect to those people as well. So understanding uh, what it is. Uh, the consequences it can have, and then uh, crucially, uh, giving them the tools and knowledge to uh, protect themselves, to detect uh, when something isn't the way it should be, and then uh, what to do uh, once they've made that uh, detection, and then just general best practice as well about how they can prevent even getting in that situation in the first place. So yeah, it, it sounds quite easy, but there is quite a lot to uh, quite a lot to it if once you start drilling down. Okay, so. What's included in cyber awareness training? At its core, uh, I think it really falls down to just a few core areas. So uh, a lot of it is going to focus on uh, phishing uh, and other social engineering attacks because that's you know that, that's the most prevalent type of attack that organizations and individuals are going to face. Then uh, how to keep devices secure as well. So whether that is a, a personal device or a device that's owned by an organization covering laptops, workstations, mobile devices, Chromebooks, you know, or every, everything around there is really, you know, it's, it's got to be holistic, the security. You can't just know how to protect a, a laptop and then, you know, not understand the threats that might face you, you might face on your um, iPhone, for example. Passwords as well. So uh, we all use passwords uh, every day, but passwords are not a particularly good way of actually authenticating uh, to services and uh, devices. So really we need to make sure that we are uh, teaming that up with something that's a little bit more robust, like uh, using multi-factor authentication. We need to make sure that uh, users have got the ability to create passwords securely, uh, manage passwords securely, and use passwords securely. So really, um, yeah, because you know there, there, there are so many inherent issues with them. So we just need to make sure that uh, people don't fall victim to like credential uh, reuse as well. So, and that's something that, uh, that can affect organizations um, from people in their personal life as well. So um, if somebody uh, in their personal life uses uh, the same password for their uh, personal Gmail as they use for their corporate Gmail, 
um, well, if that password's compromised in their personal account, uh, then it's quite easy for an attacker to see that and then just try, attempt to use the same password uh, for their corporate account as well. And then that's it, they're in, and then it's now uh, the organization's problem as well. So really, it, it's a holistic risk reduction because it's very possible that risks on uh, people's personal lives can also bleed into that corporate environment, which is something that is obviously... Um, not ideal for the, those business uh, risk owners. And then uh, finally, uh, reporting incidents as well. So really giving people the tools to uh, identify an incident, uh, you know, if, if something is wrong, then speak up, say it, and giving them, you know, an idea of, okay, what isn't normal behavior? If somebody is acting strange or they receive an email that is too good to be true, well, you know, how do they, how do they identify that? And then also, what do they do once they've made that identification? Who do they report it to? What do they need to include with that uh, report? And also, yeah, just making sure that people do it because that all of these people, we, we all have a set of eyes all around the organization. Um, so we need to make sure that if anybody spots anything, um, then it's reported to a centralized point. And then those people in the IT team or security team can take the necessary steps to uh, eradicate that risk or reduce it as much as possible uh, across the business. So when you're talking about being able to handle a phishing email effectively, or even being able to spot one, I think it's important to note that this this kind of thing wouldn't happen, or at least the, the likelihood of it happening would be greatly reduced if they'd had the training to spot these things in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of the time in, uh, Hacks we see a lot. So a lot of the incident response we turn up to, um, they are the, the incidents are entirely preventable. Um, and I know that <laughs> that sounds like a bit of a, a foolish thing to say because you know obviously everything is preventable. But a lot of easily preventable is probably a nicer way of putting that. So um, we've actually well several uh, phishing incidents as you would expect because it's the most uh, prolific type of um, attack that's commonly done against businesses. But um, there's one I think which is a really really good example of this which was it was a business email compromise uh the the company that had been uh, targeted uh their domain uh had a hyphen in the middle of their name so it was two words for the name and there was a hyphen in the middle of it so this started uh with phishing and uh that an account uh a password was given out then um they didn't have multi-factor authentication on uh, their microsoft 365 environment so another top tip please uh mfa all of the things but apart from that uh, so the attacker had actually got in. Um, they'd gotten into uh, somebody's account, but uh, she actually didn't work in the sales department. She worked as a business coordinator and also uh, part-time in HR as well. So her email inbox was a treasure trove of everything from people's CVs to bank details when people have changed their, uh, employees have changed their bank details and that, you know, they want that to be paid, obviously. Um, and also... Uh, because she was a uh, business coordination, she did deal with uh, and interact with some of the uh, head salespeople for this organization. So she had enough information when it came to invoicing and client information. And they they were in uh, her account for several months. We we can't say for sure because they only had three months worth of logging as well. Um, but it, there was malicious activity for all of the three months that they had logging for. So um, again, everybody, please... Uh, uh, extend your logging, log all the things, uh, makes IR much easier. Um, but for those three months, we could see uh, that the person, the attacker had sat uh, in, in her inbox and was just 
understanding the usual way that data flows, like when invoices are raised, when they're paid, which one, uh, which organizations raise the, the largest invoices that they could see. So, you know, if you're going to target one or two people, you really want to be going after those big invoices. And the, the attacker sat in this inbox patiently and just waiting until the correct one came through. They, they pounced and, you know, it was the classic, oh, our bank details are changed. Could you please um, transfer the uh, payment into uh, this other bank account. Yeah, we're really sorry. It's done on ad hoc. Um, it's just that, you know, it's only just happened and we'd like to get all the payments into this. They, they span a really good narrative. It was very good. Um, but that account was actually uh, from, so if you remember the, the client's name had uh, a hyphen in the middle of the domain, well, they just put two hyphens in and it's, it sounds like it's easy to spot, but I promise you, if you look at it um, and you, you know, you're just giving a cursory glance, it's not as easy to see as you, as you might have thought. Um, and that's where all of these emails are coming from. So we actually lost that evidence um, from there. We had to get it from the uh, our client's client uh, to actually uh, see what, what sort of communication had gone back and forth between them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the victim did actually uh, pay the money into the attacker's account as well. Um, it was it was recovered um, after a couple of weeks, so that was you know a, a nice ending to that. But um, it was for several hundred thousand pounds, and it could have gone significantly worse. I mean, you know, in in a supplier, so our client supplier, that's who paid the money. Um, if if they are, uh, you know, it, it, the whole relationship can actually break down from there. So if if somebody's saying I've paid that money because they have paid it, but then the person receiving the money say, well, I've not received anything. It just completely destroys a business relationship between the two. But the, the, the takeaway in terms of cyber awareness for this is that the, the organization didn't undertake regular phishing uh, assessments. Uh, they didn't have any cyber awareness training. And if that had been the case, then it, it's, it could have been possible that they could have uh, actually spotted this earlier um, and then you know, the whole, it wouldn't have gone as far as it did. And um, if anybody that's ever had to buy instant response services, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll be able to tell you just how expensive um, it can be. Um, you know, the day rate for instant response is significantly higher than the day rate uh, to get a professional to come and do cyber awareness training. So often preventative measures can be significantly more cost effective than the, the reactive um, measures that you have to take off the back of an incident. So um, even from a financial standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and all that downtime and, and hassle and, and other resources, it, it really does make a lot of sense to get protected up front and then not have to suffer the consequences And uh, from that. I think, you know, if, if users aren't trained, you really can't expect them to be able to, to defend against something. Um, it, you know, it's the same with martial arts. You, you, you need to train in defense and hand-to-hand combat to be able to protect yourself. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Luke, but I often see quite a lot of, of cognitive dissonance um, between people understanding that, that cyber attacks are important and that, you know, we, you need to have protections as a business, but at the same time also believing that, well, it's not my problem or, or even a better one that, that we see is, well, it won't happen to me. So how do you think that, how do you think cyber awareness can address that problem? Yeah, well, I mean, it is, it is just about shared responsibility. I mean, that, that's, if, if everybody feels personally responsible for security within the organization, it's going to make things significantly easier. Um, and I think it's about standardization as well. So 
uh, as you say, if people can't recognize what is uh, right or wrong, then that can be, and, and, and it is a gray area. Everybody thinks differently about it. So, I mean, um, Brad, I know you and I, we don't have any kids, but would you allow uh, one of your children to use your corporate laptop? No, probably not. No, and I wouldn't either. I'd hope that we would know better, but you know, a lot of that does, <laughs> a lot of that does happen, and people just think, well, I've been given this laptop, then it's mine, um, which is, you know, it's a, it's a fair assumption to make, I suppose. But um, you know, it's not your laptop, and it needs to be treated with respect because the, the data that's on there and the access into systems that that has um, is significantly more than uh, than people realize sometimes, and. Also about the value of data as well, right? There is such an immense value um, in terms of, of, of data and also operational cost as well. So, you know, if something does go wrong and an organization uh, gets ransomware, in a classic example, for large organizations, that's, that can be hundreds of thousands of pounds a day in damages. And, you know, people need to realize that really the costs can be that high. So you just need to understand that's, that's what's at stake. And then adjust your actions accordingly, I think is um, is quite important. And it does happen to everybody as well. I think, I don't know, this is maybe a subject for a different podcast, but I think especially when it comes to like phishing. So those organizations that have uh, phishing simulations, which is brilliant to do, um, absolutely we supply them. Uh, you know, it's something that we wholeheartedly recommend um, that people do or people that, you know, fall victim to real phishing uh, or social engineering attacks. There's a lot of victim shaming that goes on. Like people, you know, you clicked on that link, you submitted your password, therefore you are stupid. And that's not entirely true. Um, well, it's not true at all, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, these things are set out to deceive you. Um, and, that you know, some attackers go to great lengths to ensure that their uh, emails or phone calls or text messages, whatever it might be, are as convincing as possible. Um, so if people don't think it can happen to them because they're too smart, they work in InfoSec, they know what they're doing, this, that, and the other, well, it just takes, you know, an, an, an off day, you might be really tired, you, your head might be in another place, you might be stressed, this, that, and the other. There's, there's a multitude of reasons why people get caught out. Even, even the greats can fall. So just really just take it seriously all the time because you can get caught out no matter who you are. So it, it will happen. <laughs> Eventually it will happen to all of us, I'm sure. The preventative measures that you can put in place are far more effective than the reactive ones. 100%. Take a couple of minutes to run us through what, what a typical syllabus of, of cyber awareness training would look like. So it can, it can be heavily dependent on uh, the organization if they want it to be. From my perspective, I like to, when I'm delivering this training, I like to include uh, five five core areas really that I think are really beneficial uh, to everybody to so try and make it a bit simple and then we can incorporate the uh, organization's uh, policy stance and anything else that they want to do if they have specific systems or whatever that people need training on we can help with that as well but uh, the five key areas really are just around like social engineering device security uh, reporting incidents malware and then passwords as well so I'll start with the big one uh, social engineering so we've already talked a lot about phishing which you know everybody should be familiar, especially if you're listening to this podcast. I'm sure you're pretty familiar with uh, phishing, um, but there's, there's, I mean, there's lots of other guises around that as well, right? So there's emails designed to steal your passwords. There's uh, emails that have uh, malware attached to them, um, and that can come in the form of like uh, macro-enabled Word documents, Excel documents, uh, PowerPoint documents, all that sort of stuff. But also, you know, scripts that are attached with that. I read. Um, 
yesterday uh, a Microsoft article that was uh, they were on about people uh, were using uh, Morse code in phishing emails to actually uh, <laughs> evade detection and then just using that as a decode yeah. function for the JavaScript. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Super clever and super cool. But I mean, you know, this is, and that goes back to just the previous point, right? If you think you're too good to get caught out, I don't know, people put a lot of effort into this stuff. So just, yeah, think about it. But I mean, phishing, phishing is quite a, a well-trodden path um, and we'll take people through like, how do you actually spot a phishing email? Um, what are the telltales, telltale signs for phishing emails? And also the landing pages, like the website you go to as well, right? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of outdated advice around if you see the padlock uh, symbol in the URL bar, then, you know, it's, it's a site that can be trusted, stuff like that, that, you know, a lot of people believe because that was what was told to them for a long, long time. But really that doesn't, stack up or hasn't stacked up for a very long time now with the advent of uh, like let's encrypt you can get a free certificate so literally anybody can have https now so advice around that just clearing up some of the myths as well around phishing and yeah really what to look out for again taking because and macro enabled uh, word documents as well so like very very prominent um underpin some massive uh malware and ransomware uh, campaigns such as like emotet um, when i used to work in stock it was daily occurrences that we used to get uh, macro-enabled uh, office documents come through with Emotet attached. They are just all the time just bombarding people. But a lot of people might not realize that that is a legitimate attack vector. They might not have seen that. When we do phishing simulations, um, we have a few uh, documents that are uh, that utilize uh, fake droppers, if you like, to, you know, just pop up on people's screen and then go, oh, you've been involved in a phishing uh, campaign. Did you know this, that, and the other? And it will just take, rip some information from their computer, like the computer's name, who was logged in, that sort of stuff. It's, it's perfectly benign, but a lot of people haven't seen that that's what macros can do. They just think that, oh, I just use it to automate some of my Excel stuff. They don't realize that, you know, it could be used to download and install malware, uh, potentially, uh, if the, you know, if the system hasn't been hardened correctly. So, Really, that is just about awareness where people might not have seen stuff. Um, then some other like social engineering vectors as well. So when we talk about smishing, which is uh, phishing via SMS, WhatsApp as well, uh, much more common now than uh, it ever was. I think, you know, when with when new technologies come into play, uh, they want attackers that are always looking for, okay, what's another way in which I can uh, get into people? Again, like WhatsApp, a lot of people are being told and they're advertising heavily at the moment. You know, it's encrypted, it's secure. But that doesn't mean that you can't receive phishing or malware through it. When uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, who's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, um, allegedly uh, sent malware to Jeff Bezos uh, and then hacked his phone uh, from there, you have to say allegedly. I mean, the IR team said that it was true, um, but uh, yeah, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, if somebody like Bezos can get uh, hacked, then there's, what, what's the what's the hope for the rest of us? But we're just normal people, right? So we're probably less likely to be targeted, but, um, and then, uh, voice phishing as well. So if somebody was to ring you up and say, I'm calling from your bank, I'm calling from Microsoft, um, again, you know, how, how do you verify that person is who there is? Um, my mum actually got caught up, um, with something, uh, somebody pretending to be from Microsoft saying, you know, your computer's had an issue. Um, it was only after she'd been on the phone with them for 45 minutes, uh, <laughs> that she realized that something was actually wrong. And, you know, I always preach to her, you need to be vigilant. People are always trying to get out to get you, which I don't know if that's a particularly good attitude or not. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's it's the world we live in, right? And it's important to um, 
to ensure that people are very defensive and you know that whole uh, like Soviet saying of trust but confirm that's just that's something that I think is, is really important that confirmation um, you need to be really sure that the person is who they say they are or the emails who it's from and yeah just why am I receiving this so so yeah and then on to the other areas um, so like device security how can you ensure that uh, your device is actually you know it's up to date uh, it's not got it's free of malware your it's, it's sufficiently hardened because th- this is another tricky point as well so if people are using corporate devices then you would hope that the device has been um, is sufficiently secure in line with the organization's uh, guidelines or their policies but you know with the advent of like bring your own device how can you be sure of that right you can't you can't know that uh, the device is secure because you don't manage it as an organization so you need to give uh, your employees the tools to actually uh, secure their devices somewhat themselves, especially, you know, mobile devices are a, a lot of, well, a lot of even large organizations don't give, uh, their companies mobile, mobile phones. Um, how, how can you protect those? I think it's a, it's a, it's a difficult challenge, but if you give people the knowledge on how to do it themselves and may, allow them to understand the importance of securing their own devices, then you can mitigate a lot of that risk without having to provide them with those like corporate issued devices that are heavily locked down. Um, it, it doesn't totally mitigate the risk, obviously, but it can go some way to addressing those sort of things. Reporting incidents as well, uh, another massive topic and something that we have to take the input from the organization with as well, because some of the smaller organizations, they don't have any formal process uh, to actually report incidents. So um, who do you who do you call? Who do you, you know, how do you actually identify the incident as well? Really, uh, for me, and I think it's quite an easy way of doing it, it's just saying, like, if you see something, say something. That's pretty much it. If you notice that somebody in the, in the office that you don't recognize is acting suspicious, well, go over there, question them. Who are you? Where, what are you here to do? Um, you know, and if, if you go about it in the, in the right way, nobody's going to take offense to that. If it does turn out that they are genuinely here to fix the air conditioning, well, fair enough. But if, uh, if it turns out that they're trying to walk out with a load of documents under their arm or a couple of PCs, then you've, you've, you've done the right thing. You've done a really good job. Um, again, knowing, you know, going back to what we were saying again about victim shaming, if somebody has been fished and they have given over their password, um, sometimes people are quite reluctant to share that information. Uh, so, you know, they don't, they don't want to be seen as an idiot and they will try to, uh, just co- cover themselves really so that so they won't want to report it to you straight away which is obviously be the best thing to do so you can get a team of people to try and uh, remediate the situation rather than uh, somebody that might not be trained in information security trying to uh, remediate it themselves so instead of them just trying to sort it out because they're worried they're going to get in trouble in, in some organization especially if it's not their first offense if it's happened a couple of times and that you know they've been given a warning of oh well, if you do this again you're going to get fired um, that sort of thing, then obviously they're not going to tell you. They're just going to let the incident ride out. So it's, it's it's like a toddler, right? Did you rate this? No. Okay. You know, that's that's exactly how they act. If there's that much on the line, um, people won't report it. So give them the, the understanding of what to report, when to report it, encourage them to report incidents as well. It's so crucial. Even the world's best SOC teams don't have eyes on absolutely everything. It's impossible and also very expensive. Uh, to get eyes on absolutely everything, to get a sensor on every single endpoint, to get holistic visibility of your uh, entire corporate network. It's very expensive, but 
you know, you've got an entire workforce of eyes out there that can do the jobs uh, that some of these other systems can do as well as a perfect supplement. Um, not not a replacement, but you, you know what I mean from there. So yeah, and then just talking about uh, malware as well, kind of touched on that in some of the other areas, but just informing people, you know, uh, if, it, if it's their own device, not to install uh, applications that they don't know where it's from. Um, talked about word macros and how malware can come through there uh, from phishing. Um, some of the impacts of malware as well. So ransomware is uh, constantly in the headlines of even like the BBC and Financial Times and stuff like that. But so people just need to understand as well, though, how, how those things actually happen, what malware is, um, and then how they can stay safe from it, uh, just giving them the basic tools. I mean, a lot of people in, in their job roles won't need to actually install any software or uh, or, ma or make any modifications like that. So really the, the likelihood is less, but for those people, it's often the people that are slightly more technically competent, but not enough that they actually realize what they're doing. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, we've seen quite a few organizations get in trouble that way by exposing RDP to the internet, for example. Um, that was a funny incident, the poor guy. Um, but um, yeah, um, and then the final uh, one and one of the most important ones is passwords. So passwords are something that we use every day and it's often things that people get wrong. Um, so we take people through uh, all of the steps of the password lifecycle, if you want, and then more broadly authentication in general. So oh, I'll put this up to you, Brad. Brad, how do you safely create passwords, sir? Uh, using the password manager. Oh, yeah, gold marks, exactly. So, but for some organizations, they don't want to provide um, their, their uh, employees with a password manager uh, or, you know, a lot of um, people don't even know what a password manager is. And that's something that the concept and a tool we're going to introduce them to in it. So you don't need to pay for one. Um, obviously, there's free um, cloud-based ones like uh, LastPass, but then also like KeePass, which is one that's stored locally on your device, is absolutely fantastic. Um, and it can help you generate secure passwords. And I mean, if you even if they don't go for a password manager, creating passwords securely, I mean, eight characters Although it's going to be in some organizations, um, you know, minimum length for Active Directory, that isn't enough really these days. The, the emphasis should really be on password length uh, and not on complexity. Um, complexity can help, absolutely. Um, but by following uh, guidance such as the NCSC's uh, three random words model, um, that can you know, really help to extend the length of your password. So just looking at my desk now, if you were to have a password of monitor, keyboard, mouse, and then if you were maybe to you know, uh, put in some numbers halfway through um, or some symbols halfway through um, or, you know, anything like this. But if you just want to stick to words, that's absolutely fine. But it's really about the length of the password that we're trying to get into people uh, and instill that in them as a great tool to protect against the majority of online threats. Um, then we move on to safe password storage. So as Mr. Thomas said, absolutely, we need uh, password managers in order to help us uh, securely uh, store passwords. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people have probably been guilty of this at some point. <laughs> I know I have, um, of just like, you just put, you just want to make a quick note. So if you're just on a call and somebody gives you a password, you'll just like quickly stick it in a TXT. You might not save it to the disk, but you're still going to just put it there for safekeeping instead of writing it down uh, in a notebook, for example. But I mean, is, is, is that safe? No, <laughs> it's not. If your machine gets breached, then that password goes with it. Um, but I mean, you know, if people don't want to do that, I don't know what you think about this, um, Brad, but 
I've heard a, a lot of people say about if you actually, you know, you don't want to do that. If you want offline storage, then uh, write down uh, on a piece of paper uh, what the password is. Uh, avoid putting an email in there, but you could put the technology that it's for um, and then just put it in a book on your bookshelf, uh, the piece of paper with the passwords on it. And I mean, the likelihood of that getting compromised is negligible. I mean, unless your house gets broken into um, or you throw out the book, which is <laughs> so it's a very real threat vector. But I would, yeah, um, I know, but for, for people that are a little bit less uh, technology averse, that can be a, a great way in, in order to manage passwords that are, in, in my opinion, reasonably secure, as long as you're sensible about you know where, where you store it. Um, and only use it when you absolutely have to. Don't leave it lying about, literally just keep it um, as like an offline code backup, for example. And then also the safe use of passwords as well. So, um, and all the authentication options. So passwords are okay, um, you know, but really you should be looking towards multi-factor authentication via SMS is an easy way to get into that, but then also looking at stuff like Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, um, YubiKeys, if, you know, if people wanna go a little bit further, um, especially as an organization, it can be a great way to bolster the security uh, of the authentication used in your business. So yeah, that's kind of a high level, what we like to go through. Um, we like to throw in as many war stories as we can uh, going throughout it as well, just to make it a little bit more engaging because I've been on some absolutely dire training where it's just like full on death by PowerPoint. So training it, it, it really helps to, to throw in these relevant stories just to make sure people understand and they understand you know what can go wrong and it's also just a little bit of humor sometimes as well well on, on the topic of training um you know i often get asked well why okay i understand i need cyber awareness training but why should i go to a cybersecurity company for it you know there there are loads of free videos and resources online on youtube um the, google have great training Yes, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Even the NCSC have a free cyber awareness course. So why talk to cyber professionals? I think it's a lot of the contextual um, stuff that you're going to be missing out from that and also the engagement as well. Um, and also for the person that's purchased straight. Okay, so I'm going off in multiple tangents uh, <laughs> straight away. So um, I think online training isn't always as engaging as, it, as you might wish that it was. So the Google phishing training is brilliant. If you're an organization that uses G Suite or in your personal life, if you use um, uh, Google Mail, um, absolutely fantastic. It's, it's tailored around that. Um, I'm not saying that it's not useful if um, you're a Microsoft uh, outfit, but um, it's tailored for Google, as you would expect. And it is really, really solid. And it's, it's also uh, a little bit more interactive and gives some quite nice examples for what to look out for and stuff. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to give your, your mum or your nan or, you know, any, anybody uh, a little bit of a, a leg up, so they have the basics on how to spot phishing, absolutely brilliant. The NCSE cyber awareness training, again, for those IT managers uh, out there that are listening to this, um, check it out. It's really, really good. Uh, and it's free, uh, as Brad said. So. Uh, go and give it a look. But I mean, in terms of what a cybersecurity vendor will do that they just can't do because it's an online delivery. I mean, it's it's the contextual um, feedback as well. And if, if you're training and you're delivering that content, you know, if people aren't paying attention or uh, some people are struggling with it, for example, then you can go and aid them to, to help them to so that you, you're 100% sure that they understand the material, they understand uh, how to stay safe afterwards. 
And it's just about the experience of working in the field as well. So we find that war stories are quite a good way of engaging people. Uh, as I said just before this, giving people up-to-date information. Uh, everybody likes a good IR story, <laughs> even the people that, you know, in, in the organizations that we've uh, <laughs> responded to the IR and then we do the training afterwards. Um, even they, some, some of them like to know what went wrong at a high level, don't go away too much, obviously, but, you know, what went right, what went wrong and how they can uh, improve next time. Um, then also we're going to be able to provide the most recent attack vectors as well. So um, if we're seeing uh, a rise in certain types of phishing um, or, you know, some, some other threat, uh, then we can give uh, some actionable advice on the specifics on how to detect this, especially if it's a more technical audience as well, then we can put back in some of our experience in actually detecting some of these threats um, that we can really then, you know, give them the tools they need to to assist other people as well. You know, it's, it's not just giving them some knowledge, it's they can give enough to help other people as well, not just themselves. Um, yeah, and then just, you know, we can make it more relatable to them as well and tailor it around their department. So, for example, if uh, a person works in like finance, for example, well, then we can give specific phishing examples to Sage um, if that is what they use and stuff like that. So then we can, you know, really immerse them in in their own world. We can bring their world to them in the training to make it as actionable as possible for them, which I think is uh, pretty powerful. So the, to increase the effectiveness of the training, you really need to make it contextual um, to contextual to the business. Um, contextual to that person's role and also contextual to that person as an individual and you know be able to relate to them on a on a personable basis um what are the other methods to make cyber awareness training more effective well testing um is is my knee-jerk reaction to that so you know the theory so in in the cyber awareness training we're delivering it as a theoretical thing for the most part there will be practical examples in there of phishing emails of malware um you know allowing people to to see really you know how how this stuff works and how they will interact with it or hopefully not interact with it sorry uh, as the as the victim or potential victim um but really it's about continuous development um so the training needs to happen continuously you need to keep it in the in the forefront of people's minds then once you've done the training, you need to um, ascertain the efficacy of, of that training, right? So what we like to do initially um, will be like a benchmarking process. So when the organization comes to, to us, then we can benchmark the uh, awareness of their employees. Um, that could be, uh, so if, if we're focusing on phishing, for example, that could be through phishing simulations. Um, so then that can give you those efficacy metrics and also highlight risks of uh, specific users, departments, anything like that. Um, obviously, you know, some, some departments are have higher risk than others um, for phishing. For example, like HR, because they receive a lot of CVs and stuff like that anyway. Um, so if you want to pop a department with a, uh, with a macro-enabled Word document, that's not a bad way to go just by uploading a CV. With that benchmarking progress in, uh, process, you can see the progress that the organization actually makes. So then you can do your first get get the metrics uh do the first lot of training uh then do a quiz at the end of that to ensure that everybody has understood the training obviously if it's um face to well if, if we're delivering it as a uh, as a trainer then you can see if people are struggling or not so that can help you uh, understand as the trainer if, if people are understanding it in the way that you're explaining it or you need to adjust your approach to make sure that it, you know it works for them you know and then once that happened again then we could run uh another assessment uh, that could be even some something approaching like a, a red team assessment so 
you know, if I if I walk into the office as somebody that doesn't work there in a high vis and a ladder over my shoulder, is somebody going to stop me and say, "Who are you? What are you doing?" Um, and that you know, all of this stuff needs to be fed into uh, the cyber awareness training, um, and that will give you a really good actionable idea of okay, is what we're doing working, um, or do we need to adjust our approach? And then uh, do more training or single out some people that are particularly of high risk because they, you know, they might not be clicking with it, they're technology adverse, um, or just because of the role they do as well. Um, you know, those at the top of the organization um, are often the ones that are going to be most targeted, um, but unfortunately are the most time poor. So what can we do to ensure that they get the correct training for them um, in the context of what they need um, so they can help their departments and the whole business as, as the leaders of the organization. So yeah, it's just about repetition and testing and then adjusting and then just really uh, repetition and training again. So as, as a nice little like circular life cycle uh, for me, that's what I would, uh, I would say that that, that would go like really. I mean, in my head, there's, there's, there's two different sides to this. There's the cyber awareness training for businesses and, and for individuals, but there's also cyber awareness training um, as, a, as a society, you know, for the masses. And I think regardless of the, um, of the end user, cyber awareness is about creating a culture. You know, it's a culture of ownership and responsibility to draw from a previous point from you, Luke. Um, encourage the reporting of potential incidents encourage people to take a security first mindset um, and if you see people around you doing it you know you should praise people and, and enforce that kind of behavior um, but just to cast my mind back in the 1950s when seat belts were first incorporated it took a long time for people to listen to that advice and for for me looking back now i'm thinking wow people must have been really stupid but it's not about being stupid it's it's about just a lack of awareness people didn't know it was a good thing to do um often you know when people did realize it was a <laughs> should do it um many people may have said well i've never had a crash it won't happen to me um, and that draws similarities from a from a cyber perspective as well. well. I've never had a breach, you know. It'll never happen to. It's a it's a similar kind of narrative of that cognitive dissonance. Yes, and it's it's important, but it won't happen to me. And if it was happening in the 1950s and it's happening today, um, it, it's almost in human nature to not listen to to this kind of smart advice. Um, and in the case of the of the seatbelt adoption, it took years of mass education. Um, TV campaigns, billboards. They were teaching kids in school um, all the way through to in enforcing it by law through the police. And I'm a believer that, that the same approach needs to be taken for, for cyber awareness training. You know, I think there needs to be mass campaigns for, for best practice and, and for cyber awareness. Uh, people need to be taught from a, from a young age and also for people at our age and above it needs to be involved in, in continuous development programs. Like at the forefront of your mind, in the exact same way you just put a seatbelt on in the car, when you make a new account, you know, use a password manager and enable 2FA. So, you know, if you were to take anything away from this podcast, it's take ownership of your own training, um, learn about cyber awareness, um, and take it into your own hands because ultimately 
you're responsible for your own data. And in this day and age, you're also responsible for a lot of other people's data too. I think on, on that note then, let, let's end it here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, appreciate your time. Luke, thanks for joining me today, sir. It's been really great listening to you. Uh, hopefully have you back on again soon. This podcast was brought to you by Samurai Digital Security, purveyors of cybersecurity solutions. Find us at samuraisecurity.co.uk and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Samurai Security, tearing cybersecurity a new R since 2015.